I feel really far away. I mean, I know we live together and everything, but... So, uh, real quick, before we get started, um, we just want to place this kind of back out there uh, before you again. Like I said last week, um, we are about to share our, our testimony and what God has done in our lives and through our lives. And so if you have teenagers uh, in this room um, or children in this room this morning, um, I would recommend maybe sending them downstairs to our amazing children's ministry. Um, Or you may have some great conversations at lunch today. (laughs) Uh, Just placing that out there so that way um, you can't come back and say, well, pastor, you didn't say anything to us, and now my kid's asking what you were talking about. So, um, on top of that, um, I just want to preface our testimony with this as well. Uh, We we thought that as the the new pastor uh, here, the lead pastor here, um, and stepping into this role, um, there's probably not many of you who know us very well, and we wanted to be able to share what God has done in us and through us, and Uh, give glory to God, really, for bringing us to this place. And we want you guys to know that we're just real people um, and and that we make mistakes um, and that we've made a lot of mistakes. And uh, in in our mistakes, God has has made um, something beautiful uh, that was a disaster. And so we just want you guys to know that we're just real people. And we have found in ministry for the last 10 years uh, that just being authentic with people is the best way to shepherd and to care for their souls. And so um, I just wanted to, to preface, preface that. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was going to church in my mother's womb. Um, <laughs> I was. And uh, I, um, we were always at church when I was a child. Um, we went to church twice on Sundays and Wednesdays, and then if there was something else going on, we were probably there too because my parents served uh, faithfully in, in our church where I was growing up. And uh, I remember at the age of four, uh, praying with my mom. Uh, my mom had the opportunity to lead me to the Lord uh, in our suburban and uh, we were actually right around the corner from where we went to church. And I knew why I was praying and I knew what I was doing. I had no idea the roller coaster uh, of a ride and journey this would become. And, uh, and so um, that, was, that was the mentality of, of our family. Like we always go to church, we serve in church. But yeah, I grew up in a church that was very um, legalistic a church that cast condemnation upon its church members. Um, It was all about the law. And if you did these things wrong, you were going to hell. And there was no grace. It was not tempered with grace at all. And and so I grew up um, thinking um, all sorts of negative things about God. My perception of God was very works-based. The more that I do right, the more I read my Bible, the more I pray, the more God will love me. And um, that was also a reflection, um, you know, upon my father. And uh, my mom and dad are sitting right here in the second row. And anything uh, that I say today 
um, is not held against them in any way, shape, or form. I love my mom and dad dearly, and my mom and dad did um, the best that they could with what they had to show us Christ and to show us what a, a marriage. I'm not going to look at you guys. <laughs> um, to show us what it meant to, to model Christ through marriage. My parents were not perfect, um, but my parents strove to be um, the best and godliest parents that they could be for me and my four sisters. Um, and so that was my mentality of my relationship with my dad, just like it was with God. If I did things right, then I would get praise and I would, I would be loved more. And so um, that's how I grew up. At the age of 10, um, I was staying the night at a friend's house and um, came across pornography for the first time at the age of 10. Um, it was from um, the age of 10, so 1999, um, until uh, 2014 that my life was in totally encapsulated um, by pornography. It, it controlled everything in my life. It skewed the way that I looked at women. It skewed the way that I, that I treated my sisters and my mother. Um, and it was something that eventually would be brought into our marriage that would do a huge damage uh, within our marriage. But before I go any further, I want my wife to share, uh, for those of you who do not know, this is my wife, her name is Brianna. Um, I, want, I want you to just share with them kind of where you grew up and like what was your background, what was your family uh, dynamic, and how vastly different it was uh, than mine. So um, I grew up in a Catholic home, um, but my mom and dad split before I was born. So I grew up um, with a stepdad, because he stepped in when I was very young. I called him dad. But um, my father was involved as much as he could be from a different state. He lived in North Carolina while I lived in Florida, so um, he would visit as often as he could, and eventually I was able to go and see him for a month every summer, but um, he wasn't there. He was distant, and my stepfather um, worked a lot, and he was a functioning alcoholic. So while he was not um, violent or aggressive in any way, he was very disconnected very disconnected. So I, um, before I get there, um, we, we went to Catholic church uh, when I was very young, mainly for my grandparents. And one day, my mom asked my brother and I what we learned in church, because we had been driving at least half an hour every Sunday to go to this church so that we could go to the same church as my grandparents, and we couldn't tell her what we learned. So she said, okay, this is a waste of time. We're not going anymore. So then we became the family that only went for holidays. And they continued to have me do the catechism classes for my grandparents. So um, my view of God was very distant. Like he is, I believed he was there. And I knew that Jesus was his son and that he died, but I had no idea why. I had no guidance as to um, <laughs> what, uh, what a heavenly father was 
or what it was, uh, what he was there for. So because of the distance of the male figures in my life, I um, craved male attention. And unfortunately, um, I developed super early and I learned that if I dressed a certain way, I would get male attention. So um, up until middle, about middle school, the end of middle school, I started to get in trouble with boys. And what else? I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I wasn't sure how far you wanted me to go. Yeah, so we, we grew up in vastly different family dynamics, completely different. I grew up in a Christian home, and yet I um, did little to seek after the Lord in my relationship with Him. And my life choices uh, took me down a path that led to mental destruction. And as I shared with you, can you guys turn my mic down just a little bit? It's a little hot. Um, and so couple the struggle with pornography and the struggle with anxiety and being medicated and suicidal all at the same time. Just this mixture of, of, of emotions and pornography became such a hindrance in my life and such a stumbling block for me uh, that I knew that I was going to get caught unless I did something about it. And so I began um, to do everything that I could to learn how to hide what I was doing because we only had one family computer and everybody did it. Like everyone, everyone used that one computer. And so I began to learn and, and learn and ask questions of my computer teacher at school. And as this little innocent, you know, bystander kid, like, hey, uh, Mrs. Sita, how do you do this? You know, and, and she didn't have any clue as to why I was asking the questions that I did. But I got to this place where I knew what I was doing was wrong and I was going to get in trouble, but I had to hide it from my mom and dad because I didn't want to get in trouble. Because I was living this, this life from just after my 10th birthday of, of self-gratification. And I was get, getting moments of pleasure that I would continue to run back to every time something was going on. And it, it got worse as, as my mental status uh, got worse. And um, I began to, to date uh, various different girls as I got into high school. And um, I, I took that view of pornography of women of being able to control them because I was able to control my computer screen. And I took that into multiple relationships. And I, I hate to even admit this, but I was that person that was just verbally abusive to women. I was, I was the one who would demean a woman because that's how you were viewed in my eyes. And I'm just going to stop right here for just a moment. I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to go there. Um, if you're in here this morning, man or woman, um, just because you're a woman does not mean that you can't fall into and struggle with pornography. Okay. So what I need you to know is this: pornography is destructive. Pornography damages you mentally. There are, there are pathways in the brain that are formulated every time you stare at a picture or watch a video of pornography. 
That, that's just science. And to reverse all of that in your thinking is a long, hard road. And if you are in here and you are struggling with pornography in any way, shape, or form, you need help. Get help now. Don't let it wait. Don't say, well, it's only once a week. Don't say it's only every couple. No, get help, I'm telling you. And I'll explain to you why in just a few minutes. But fast forward a couple of years, and my family up and moves halfway through our junior year of high school. And I did not want anything at all to do with it. My friends were here. Um, I was in a relationship with somebody um, that I loved, um, someone I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and it was not my wife. And we, we were like, we're going. We're, we're moving to Florida. We're moving 1,275 miles away. And we picked up and we left. And I had to start all over again. And going to a new school, and I shared a little bit about my mentality of walking into that school. I wanted to be the untouchable one. I didn't want, I didn't want to be friends. I wanted to be seen as this hard, this hard kid. But really, that's because where I was at in my life. I was hardened in so many ways. I had become bitter towards my parents. But, um, but God. But God. God gave me the opportunity to meet my wife. But God. We are in senior year of, our, of, of high school, right? And I had enough credits to graduate, and yet I decided to stay at the school, and I became a teaching assistant uh, and worked in various different classes all, all day. I, I love to help people. I just have a passion for helping people. Um, and I was a smart kid, and so I just spent a lot of time tutoring those who were struggling. And six days into our senior year, um, I was placed as the teaching assistant in a remedial um, language arts class. And you had to be in this class if you failed the state exams. In order to uh, pass and graduate, you had to pass all of the state exams in Florida. And so um, Bree was a transfer student our senior year, and that's how we met. We met in a remedial reading class that she did not need, and I was there as the, te the teaching assistant. And um, I can tell you that our first uh, interaction was not a good one. Um, just I was if having I could, a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> if I could just be 100% honest with you, in my mental state, um, my first thought was inappropriate when she walked in. Um, because of what she had, yeah. because of what she had on, it was my fault. Um, you know, my first thought was that, and so I tried to be that guy, right? That's like, well, I'm going to be nice. She looks new, and it turned out bad, <laughs> bad. Um, very bad day. Very. <laughs> I hold nothing against you for that at all. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, and so. So here we are, we meet, right? And we began this journey through our, our senior year of high school, um, not in a relationship, but becoming the best of friends. And so um, 
why don't you tell them your mentality coming into that school and then how our friendship began to develop and then what happened near the end of our senior year? So I had gone to the same school for the first three years of high school. And um, my parents and my grandparents had always talked about getting a house together. I thought it was going to be later in life. And they decided, no, after my junior year, we're going to go get a house in another county. And I came up with every plan that I could so that I could stay at my school because I had friends and that was important. And um, my mom said no. She blocked every path. So I was like, fine, I'll go to this country school because I had gone to a school in the city. And the school that I went to is a lot more country. The girls did not dress like I did. So um, I, again, the attention thing. So I went into that school. Okay, well, I'm just going to get all of these guys' attention, and um, I did immediately, and fell into a relationship, and he got what he wanted, so that was over, and immediately fell into another one that was not good at all. The worst person I had ever been with in my entire life, and this amazing guy right here watched me go through that relationship, tried to give me very good advice, and I did not listen. I, my mentality was, um, he is giving me what I am craving, so I'm going to do whatever he wants to the point where he controlled everything that I did, everything. Um, I had to stop dressing the way that I always had since my freshman year, um, and if I didn't wear an outfit that was appropriate, um, he would know about it. And the crazy thing was that he had already graduated, so he had his friends watching me and keeping track of me and telling him I would get a call the moment I got home from school, and he would ask me all of these things. Why, why did you talk to this person? Why did you talk to that person? And why did you wear this? And why did you wear that? So I, every single thing that I did had to please him, everything. And um, he made me tell him about all of my relationships that I had had and um, promptly told, called my stepfather in the middle of the night one night um, because he found out that I had been physical with an adult. Um, and it came to a head and my parents were like, that's it, your relationship is over. They had been trying to get me to break up with him for months and they were like, no, this is it, you're done, you're done. So. Um, enter you. Yeah. <laughs> so she, um, she and her, her boyfriend at the time had, had finally split up um, after just a, a hard thing. Um, the cops got called. Um, he came to her house one morning and picked her up and, um, and took off in the opposite direction away from school, away from home, away from people. The police got called. It was just this really, uh, this really rough uh, situation that occurred. And so as, as her friend, I just um, stayed, stayed the course as her friend um, because I honestly just wanted what I wanted. I, just, I'm just being honest with you. Like that's, that's where I was. My mentality was not, you know, let's, let's try to protect her from this guy. It was let's get her away from this guy so that I could have her. And um, our, our graduation came and uh, we, 
I went to her birthday party. Uh, she had just turned 18, and we were hanging out uh, actually on my dad's birthday. And she came over to our house, and I told her finally that, uh, that you know, I had feelings for her, and um, there was this conversation that kind of went back and forth, and I don't want to lose my best friend, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And um, our, our relationship started on that day. But from that day, we had all of these different things that we were bringing into our relationship. Her multiple relation, relationships with, with these other guys and being physical with them and my pornography and my perception of what a, uh, a, a significant other is supposed to be and what her perspective of that was. And so for me, because of what she, um, what she had just gone through, I decided I'm just going to give her whatever she wants. Mistake. Biggest mistake ever. Um, We just, that was just the way that it worked. I was, I had gotten to this place where I was so distant from the Lord and I had now began to place her in God's position. She was my God. I worshiped everything about her. I did everything that she wanted to do. I, I made sure she had everything that she wanted because I valued her more than I valued God. And that was how our relationship started. And um, she was not a Christian and I was. I just wasn't living like it. And I remember we had been bothered and bothered and bothered by someone to go to church. And I was just so wrapped up in work and in doing what all of the things that we were doing. And we finally broke down on Easter Sunday in 2008 and we're like, fine, we'll go to church. And we went and Bree got saved. Um, our, um, I remember... Um, I remember her standing up, um, making this profession like, God, I want you to save me. And um, she didn't really know what that was like, and I didn't really know what that was like. And I had been waiting to propose to her, and, and I was selfishly just begging of God, will you just do, do something in her life so that I can at least say that I'm being true to being a Christian and not marrying someone who's a non-believer. And I remember after that, it was a week later that I proposed, um, and we were set course to uh, where we're going. And a lot of things began to happen in our relationship, and um, we were not living for the Lord in any way. I was not leading myself well, which in turn was not leading her closer to Christ. Um, and uh, we got pregnant. And um, uh, five months five months into the pregnancy, um, she called me, and she was like, "There's something wrong." Um, we had hid the pregnancy from every single person except for my mom and dad because they live here. Um, And she said, there's something wrong and we have to go to the hospital. And we went and we sat at the hospital for 18 hours for them to tell us there's nothing we can do, go home. 
Um, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I remember the day that she finally miscarried our son. And we had to go and, and bury him. And I remember from that moment forward, like I felt like our lives were just, there was a chasm between the two of us. There were things I was hiding from her. There were things she were hiding from me. And then now we lost a child. And every time I would look at her and she would look at me, that's all I would think of was our child who died. And I remember, um, I remember telling you that I couldn't do it anymore not our relationship. I remember saying, I can't live here anymore because every single time we come to your house, that's all I think of was our son. And um, we decided that we were going to move. And we were going to move here to Michigan. And, um, and she agreed. And it was that very moment in time that God allowed for something very awful to drive us back to him, right? Has anyone ever been in that place? Like something bad happens and, and God was trying to get your attention the whole time and you were just too stubborn to see it. Like I'm so short-sighted, I'm so blind. And then God does something in your life and it, it drives you back to your knees, right? Just like we were singing. I'm falling on my knees, God, right now. I'm, I'm humble before him saying, please, I'm, I'm calling out to rescue me. And... Um, you started going to church with your grandparents. Yep. You started going to church with your grandparents, and um, we we tried to make a change, and it just it wasn't it wasn't working. It wasn't working. Every time I stepped out my backyard, that's all I could think about was that spot. And I'm like, I can't, I can't function here. I can't live here, and I can't go on here. And um, while he had presented the idea of moving uh, prior to uh, that moment, when he presented it again, I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's give this a try. Like, I've never been in seasons because I've lived in Florida my whole life, but <laughs> I've always loved the idea of seasons because it's hot here and, you know, there are bugs. So, um, not that there's not bugs up here, but just the humidity and mosquitoes and all that. So, um, we, we started planning to move. And um, uh, while Rewind a little bit while Josh and I were dating. My, um, my family loved him, but the moment we got engaged, it was not okay. Uh, we were too young. It wasn't going to last. I can't believe that you would throw your life away. And um, so that was the mentality. That was the tension. And um, the closer... I was just going to add something to that. I think one of the hardest parts in, in our relationship up to that point going through all of these things and her family had no idea what we were wrestling with and what we had gone through and her i remember right before we were supposed to move here we uh, were standing in her grandparents house and her grandfather looked right at her and in front of the family and in front of me he said you're making the biggest mistake of your life with josh and i felt like a, a knife a hot knife was just severing my body um and, and so that's how we left. We, we got married because we were trying to, we were trying to change. And uh, outwardly, we were just doing what I would call behavior modification. Mm -hmm. 
let's just look like we're doing the right things so that everything around us looks and seems fine to other people. And so we're like, well, let's do the right thing. We'll get married before we move so that we don't live together. Though, though we had been sleeping together and we've been doing time. all, like just this, let's, let's get married now. Let, we'll do the right thing, right? Let's, let's start off on the right foot. And so we did and we got married and we never told Bree's family. We got married behind Bree's family's back because we knew that it would be this, this mess. And we stepped in our church and we got married. And 13 hours after we said, I do, uh, we were driving across the country for our honeymoon with my father. <laughs> and your sister. And my sister. And our dog. And our dog. <laughs> and um, the car had no AC. And uh, it was the dog shed, the dog so. shed everywhere and the windows just whirled the hair. Um, it was the best honeymoon ever. Um, and so here we arrive here at Ionia and our relationship is in utter chaos. And we did not want our family to know where we were at and what was going on in our lives. And so we're like, let's just get plugged in with a church. And so we started going to Res Life uh, down here. And um, we, we began to get plugged in and serving. And um, I remember um, we were working with the youth, the teenagers, and I was plugged in with the music. And I love, you know, I love teenagers and I love investing in the next generation and raising up. Uh, leaders and, and watching them step into the call that God has for their life. And yet I, I remember talking to multiple teenagers about, you know, not being in relationships and not being physical in relationships and not, um, not you know, watching pornography and getting away from those things all the while I'm still dealing with it myself. And I was just being a hypocrite. I had stepped up to lead in church and I just was not even living life the way that it should. Um, we, um, we had been fighting in our marriage. Um, things were just not good. Um, and then she gets pregnant with our oldest child, Israel. And um, we moved into an apartment. Uh, we did not like each other. Um, I, I tried to control everything uh, about her. Um, we would fight because the trash needed to be taken out. And I had worked all day and I didn't want to take out the trash, and she had been home all day. Anybody? Like, the stupid trash, right? And then the trash would spiral into another fight, and it would be another fight, and then we wouldn't talk for five days. And then it got to the point in our relationship where we would step outside of our house, and we would fake smile as we went into church. And we would fake smile when we went to our parents, and we would fake smile when people would ask us to go out, and yet we would go home and we would slam the door, and we would sleep in separate bedrooms for months and months and months and months and months. We just we were the chasm just continued to grow, and it became darker and darker and darker. And then I remember um, a couple came alongside of us, and we became really good friends uh, with one of the pastors and their wives down there. Jared and Alicia Gregory. And um, 
we came to this place where um, something had been bothering me in our relationship for years. And I knew, I knew there was something off and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I had brought it up multiple times over years and years and years in our relationship. And I just, I felt like there was this knot in the pit of my stomach. And I remember coming home from Arby's one night. And, um, and it was just on my head and my thinking. And I came home and I confronted her with this situation. And I asked, I said, do you remember when you went to this specific party uh, and I wasn't there? I said, I need you to tell me what happened at that party because it's been bothering me for four years. And, yeah, go ahead. So, um, we had only just started dating, and um, I, um, the party wasn't an actual party. It was one of my exes trying to get something from me, and I gave, and I lied. I lied. I lied to Josh um, from that moment on um, through our whole dating, through our engagement, through our marriage, through the birth of our first child, into the pregnancy of our second child. I was pregnant with Esther when you finally confronted me. Um, there was a message on secret sin uh, that night at church, and he came home and confronted me, and finally I came clean, and I told the truth. And um, it was... Horrific. Yeah. And so, on top of all of the things that we had walked through, um, now I find out that the person who I, I'm spending the rest of my life with, or at least supposed to, not only has lied to me for four years and covered up 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 and covered up, but she cheated on me. And so, all of the barriers that I had started to let down a little bit here and there just went right back up. And I'm going to keep you now at arm's length, even more. Um, and I just began to harbor unforgiveness day after day after day after day. And I remember um, a pastor told me that someone who's walking in bitterness can tell you every single detail of everything that's ever, ever happened to them. And I said, that's me. I can tell you the date and the time and the clothing and I can tell you every single detail of everything bad that's ever happened to me. And I've had to pray for years. And this is, there's a sermon in here that we'll get to one day. Um, I have to pray sometimes to, to remember to forget the things that I've gone through. Because if not, then I, I walk right back into them, right? And so um, in the midst of all of this, God's really doing a work on my life. And God, I knew God had called me into ministry as a teenager, and I didn't want anything to do with it. Because I knew I would have to be real with people about where we were at, and I didn't want to. I did not want to be real. I wanted to fake. I wanted people to think that everything was just fine. And so I began to pursue schooling because I wanted to be a doctor. And I put ministry aside for um, about three years almost four, a little over that. And God moved us back to Florida because God was calling us to go back and we had went, uh, we had went on vacation and while we were in a church service, God was just doing 
He was just raking me over the coals. You ever have those when you walk into church service and you just get hit by a two by four? Like repeatedly, you ever have that? Yeah. And God was just hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and hitting me, right? In his love, but God, right? But God. And I remember standing in that church service and I turned to her and I said, uh, we need to come back. And she was like, nope. Nope. This is where all of our pain started. This is where our first child died. We're not going back. And I was like, God told me that you are standing within the gates of your Jerusalem. And I was like, I, we have to. And that was it. And we came home and we told people and people thought we were absolutely nuts for going back to Florida. And I said, God told me to go. And I'm just going to be obedient because I've been living a life up to this point of not being obedient in any way, shape, or form. And I've done damage to my family. I've done damage to my kids. And we went. And, right, a part of me thought, if we move away, then all of our problems will just go away. Wrong. Our problems came with us. Um, and they came back in force. And I remember we got there, and God was just continuing to do all of this stuff in my life, and yet I was still addicted to pornography. Any opportunity I could have, I would do it. And we got to the point where we were just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting all the time, every day. That's just how it was. And now we have these two children that were little and had to see all of those fights and the yelling and the name calling and the breaking of plates and just the stupidity because of our own selfishness and our own anger. And I remember sitting um, Christmas Eve of 2014. Um, I was in ministry, and I was still addicted to pornography. And I remember sitting um, in a church service, and we got done, and I was like, I am such a fake, and I'm such a liar, and I'm such a hypocrite. And I was like, God, I'm done. I'm just walking away from ministry. I can't do this anymore. but God. And someone came alongside of me. And they were like, Josh, are you doing okay? And I said, I'm not. And I began to get discipled by one of my greatest friends, my mentor. And he began to walk alongside of me day after day after day and began to teach me God's word. And I remember reading in Romans chapter 6. And Paul starts out Romans chapter, chapter 6, and he said, may we continue in our sin, lest gra grace abound more and more. And I felt like God was telling me in that very moment, you as a believer does not give you the, does not, you as a believer does not afford you the opportunity to live like the devil. When I live my life, not pleasing to God, and when I'm not obedient to his word, I am anti-Christ. And that's what God spoke to me that day. 
When I don't follow God, I am anti-Christ. You guys, you guys understand that? I'm doing the opposite of what God has called me to do. That, that's the, to be anti. And I remember from that point forward, Christmas Eve of 2014, 2,211 days, I have been set free from pornography and I did not look back. But God, don't laugh. I see you guys. I counted the days. Yes, I know. <laughs> but God, God's word is powerful and it's alive and it's active and it can change even the most broken of people. So, God's doing a work in my life. And I want to drag my wife with me and it's not working. Because God's just changing and changing and changing and changing and changing so many things in me. And my wife is struggling the whole time. And I didn't understand why I could be getting so close to God and yet my family could still be falling apart. And almost four years ago. So all the while of um, him walking through his pornography uh, addiction and um, me feeling all my feelings from that, um, because of how I had chosen to live the choices I had chosen to make, my mental status, even though I was not watching pornography, it was not wholesome, it was not pure, it was extremely inappropriate, and um, it was detrimental to my marriage, and um, he was, he was close to the Lord and gaining all of this uh, freedom and victory and just learning and learning and learning, and I was over here just living this way in my brain, and um, it was just, it wasn't working. So about four years ago, it all came to a head, and I just want you to get this, you never sin alone. That's right. Ever. Your sin always affects those around you. It doesn't matter if it is not physically visible to anyone else. If you are sinning, even if it's just in your brain, in the most private moments, it will come out of you because as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Whatever is in you will come out of you, and it came out of me about four years ago, and God just began doing um, a word that he had given me just in, in my spirit was heart surgery. He really just started working on my heart, and um, it wasn't, I had my husband, we had gone to marital counseling, so I had my husband, my pastor, and I entered a discipleship relationship, and even though I had all of these people there for me and you know, talking to me and telling me and trying to teach me, it was not until I came to the end of myself. It was not until I decided and I accepted that I was wrong. It wasn't until then that God really began to do a work in me, and it was through Romans, really, Romans 6, 7, and 8, that really just came alive to me, and 
um, I understood what sanctification was, and I understood what I needed to do, and it was at that point that God did finally start to change me. He did finally start to set me free from the chains that I had made for myself, and um, it was hard. It was so hard, like he was saying, to change those pathways in your mind. It is so hard but it is so worth it, and it takes way longer than you want, and <laughs> um, I, I still have to, to be aware of my thought processes and my patterns, and I have to um, continue to keep my mind in the Word, and I know when um, I start to slip, and I can catch it quicker than I ever did. I carried around index cards for a year, a stack of index cards of verses and verses and verses about your mind and what you're thinking on and uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, 6, I do believe, um, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing it into captivity. And that's the key. You can't, what did you say in your sermon the other week? You can't help what you remember, but you can help. Yeah, you, you can't help what you remember, but you control what you think on. What you think on. And it was all about changing my mind. Deciding, no, you're not going to think about that. You're not going to think about that person. You're not going to think about when you did that. No. Not at all. And you have to tell yourself, no. Out loud if you have to. And it wasn't until then that God really began to change me and... Um, he did an amazing work in our marriage over those over those first two years. They were super hard, but it's it's incredible now to look back and see the difference. And so we we talk about we talk about this change of God, and and most of the time you see people in situations like this. And like I shared earlier, you see what we would call behavior modification. So what we call in biblical counseling is behavior modification. That's when a person is outwardly trying to change and manipulate their own behavior to make everything seem right. And they're not truly being changed by God. To that point, that's what I had that's done. That's behavior yeah. modification as, as opposed to sanctification. So the, the changing, the, the making uh, one holy, to, to set one apart for holiness, sanctification. And so I remember um, we began to read God's word together and study out what, what it meant to live a sanctified life. You know, for those of you in here who are struggling, um, we, we always hear the phrase, you're struggling with sin. No, you're struggling with obedience. That's what you're struggling with. You're struggling being obedient to God. You're not struggling with a sin, okay? And in order to struggle uh, through that and work your way through that, um, you've got to know what it means to abide in Christ, John chapter 15 tells us that we are to be connected to the vine, and the vine is Christ. And to abide in Christ is to be Christ-saturated. I am saturated in God's Word. I am ultimately connected to Him, and the pruning process by the husbandman or by God through the Holy Spirit is to chisel away the bad in you to make you more like Christ's sanctification. Right? There's a pastor that we used to sit under when I was a child, and he used to say, time, truth, and fruit will never, never lie. Time spent in God's truth produces godly fruit, and that godly fruit will never lie about where you are in your life. Time, truth, and fruit will never, never lie. So for us, 
We are four years beyond me finding out that she had been having uh, thought life uh, problems and thinking about other men and thinking about people that she worked with in inappropriate ways. And, and, and it really just came to this place where I had to say to her and I had to say to God, God, I'm sorry that I've offended you first and foremost. You know that you will never break the, the commandments 9 through 10 until you've broken commandment 1. Thou shall have no other God before me. The moment that you place a God before him, God himself is when you break every other commandment. And so for me, the lust and the, the coveting and, and every other thing fell because I had placed something else before God and that was myself. I was living to please myself. She was living to please herself. And that's not what God had for marriage. God ordained marriage to be a picture of his love for the church. And so for us, the best way that we example love to our kids and to the people around us is being unified in Christ and following God's word together. I don't have to pull her along, but I am here to help her through that process as she is I. I am not better than she because I am the head of my household. She is not better than I because she's a woman. We walk together side by side in unison in marriage under the banner of Christ. And because of that, we can model love and grace and mercy and joy and peace and patience to the people around us. Why? Not because of what we do, not because of a behavior modification, but because of Christ in us. It's okay to clap. <laughs> Christ in us. And so I'm, I want you to know in closing um, this. Uh, we are almost four years beyond the time when everything came out about where she still was and in her thought life and having to step away from her job. Um, and God is good. Do you guys believe that in this place, that God is good? Um, I would be lying if I said to you that there is not a day, um, a complete day that would, that would go by where something doesn't come up or a thought or a memory doesn't come up. Um, but we, we choose to think on what is true and what is pure and what is honorable and what is holy and what is praiseworthy because that's what God calls us to do as believers. And so in that, we can think on, on what is true and walk in what is true to display Christ to the people around us. But the entire time, through all of our mess, through all of our ashes, right, beauty was brought because there was Jesus. There was Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you guys... Um, to just hang tight with us for a moment. We would like to um, close with a song. And then know if you need someone to talk to, um, we are here. I'm going to use uh, this wireless mic, guys, not my head pack. This, um, this song is one that's really ministered to me as of late. 
um, that it didn't matter where where we were, where we found ourselves. Um, Jesus was there in the valleys and in the mountains. Um, and so if you know the song, you can sing, sing with us. The words will not come onto the screen for you, though. Um, we would like for you guys to just be kind of saturated um, in, in the lyrics of this song as we close with it. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand it starts to all those lonely roads that I traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be, I couldn't see it then, but I could see it now. There was Jesus. In the way, in the searching, in the healing and the hurt, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it But couldn't see it There was Jesus For this man who needs amazing kind of grace For forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay not perfect, but I thank God every day. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurt, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it Or couldn't see it There was Jesus on the mountains In the vast There was Jesus In the shadows of the atoms There was Jesus In the fire, in the flood been so good to our family. 
every minute and every moment and every broken piece. I'm sorry, guys. I just cannot finish the song before without crying. God is there and God is real. And life change is real and it can happen if you surrender and you submit to God. God can do something radical in your life if you allow him to. But it starts with a choice. Choosing. Choosing to follow God. There was Jesus. And there is Jesus. It doesn't matter where you find yourself today. God, we come to you. God, we come to you in the most humble of ways. God, and we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, for being faithful and constant. God, you clean the mess. We don't have to clean it up before we come to you. God, I pray in this place right now that that people would see it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter where they've come from or what they're going through right now in their life, in their marriage, with their kids. That you are there on the mountains and in the valleys. God, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would just continue to do a work in our lives first as the leaders of this church. But the outpouring would be to, to see lives changed here in this body and then in our community. God, I just ask right now, Lord, that you would continue to do what you've always done. And I beg of you, Lord, to use the Holy Spirit in a mighty way in this church and in this community. God, help us to submit and surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, Please don't forget to grab Easter invites on the way out. Invite your friends. Um, Be here next week. We're going to be talking about changing and Um, the difficulty of changing and where we go from here as a church and as a body and as uh, a member of this community and how we can make an impact. Um, So love you guys. Um, Have a blessed week. Um, You guys are sent.